0: Here we are, episode 100 of The Land Podcast. I remember I recorded my first episode for this, I think it was in March of 2021, sat on it for a little bit and finally decided, hey, we just need to press publish and let it ride. Say we're gonna have a new episode every single Monday. That's what we've did, that's what we've done. And I think we only missed maybe one, maybe two Mondays out of the last 100 episodes. And man, this has been an extremely gratifying journey. I cannot thank everyone enough for being a part of this. this. podcast's impact is beyond what I can measure. And I want to share a lot of the different things that I've learned here personally over the last 100 episodes. I've learned and grown as a person. Um, I'm so thankful for the guests that have come on here and have shared their stories. The first time land buyers that have come on here and shared their stories. I think what we built here has been pretty darn special in my mind for helping people navigate land. The whole purpose of this was As a real estate professional in Illinois, I was talking to a lot of different people and I quickly realized that there is just a big knowledge gap between people that had been doing it for a long time and people that were just getting started. And it's a huge financial commitment and it is a very big decision. And I just wanted to help educate people along the way to become a little bit more precise with their decision making, understand what they need to know, understand what they can potentially overlook and just become more knowledgeable on the topic. And at that time, I mean, this whole space has really grown the last couple of years, I would say. And at the time, it was hard to find very precise information for what land buyers were wanting to learn and not generic articles online that aren't very... that There would be a good baseline, but I wanted to dive into the nitty gritty the the weeds, if you will, on all of this, and rely on expert guests. And all the people that we've had on here have been incredible. I truly believe every single episode there is a key takeaway that you could take from every single episode. And so it's just been it's been a lot of fun. And if you're brand new here, this if you're somehow tuning into episode 100 and haven't listened to any of the other episodes, I'll just tell you this: the goal here is to help 100 my first, Matt. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois, I'm happy to help you if you're in an area that I understand. Number two, if you want to get connected with someone that I would consider doing business with myself, I'd be happy to make an introduction. If I don't know anyone where you're looking, I will just tell you. Um, And then number three, if you just simply learn something from this that helps you take action with confidence, I want to know and I want to add you to the list. And we're well over 50. I can tell you that I need to go through my email and the uh, submissions from whitetail.land and compile these and get a more firm number but I know it's over 50. And so that's just a lot. Um, And we're going to dive into all of that. But just want to say thank you to everyone that has made this project a success. It simply would not have been if it wasn't so many people that reached out, made a point to say that it's helped them for the guests to come on here and share their stories and for the experts, if you will, (laughs) to come on and tell uh, some of the things that they've learned over the years. So just want to say thank you so much. And I want to dive into what i learned from different guests in some key episodes that i think have the biggest impact in terms of different areas of land buying as anyone knows it can be pretty complex it varies throughout the country we've had people from down south out east the midwest and we've had people that are uh renewable energy experts on here and so we've felt like I've we've hit the spectrum here on a lot of different types of guests, but I want to dive into reflection on the 100 episodes. So I want to share some of the things that we have had on here or some of the guests that we've had on here. And I'm just going to pull up the analytics. I'm just going to pull up the analytics here and share some of the best episodes based on the numbers. Um, Greg Glessinger had an excellent episode talking about some of the mistakes he made when he was buying land originally, some things that he would not do again. Um, And then he talks about a farm that he bought and he's had a lot of success on. So that one is an excellent journey to understand how he started. He was a brand new deer hunter, did not come from a deer hunting background, how he learned to navigate this space, the first farm he bought, and from there, what he's been able to build into today. We have Pat Porter, an excellent guest who's been on here multiple times. He talks about avoiding common land buying mistakes. He's done a lot of deals. He, He buys and sells himself. And he shares a lot of really great things. Another really cool episode was uh, from a a woman from Missouri that is a specialist with USDA loans. A lot of really great information in that episode. And then we have some of the first-time land land buyer episodes where people are teachers or all these different professions. Actually, we've had multiple teachers on here. Now that I think about it, sharing how they bought their first farm. So the beautiful thing of having first-time land buyers on here is you get to hear what their profession is. You can assume what their income is, and if the thought is, if they can do it, I can do it. I just have to knuckle down and get focused. So um, those are some of the best ones that I can recall here off the top. I mean, there's been so many great guests that we've had. Uh, we had the opportunity to sit down with Bill Winky and, and hear basically his entire story from start to finish. I guess not really finished because he's still doing stuff today, but from start to where he was at that time in March of 2022. And I opened up on Instagram, my Instagram, Jake Hofer, and wanted a few different questions from different folks to talk about. And we'll dive into that right now. So one of the questions we had is what to do about dog problems on a property when neighbors don't cooperate. Thankfully, I've only had to deal with this one time and the neighbors did cooperate. So we had deer or dogs running deer off really bad. Um, They were chasing them across the field and we talked to them a few times. And then eventually I just went over there. And had a very straightforward conversation and we haven't had a problem since so and it's interesting too because i know different parts of the country have more random dogs running around so here in illinois it's really not a prevalent issue that i run into often but i know down south there's just a lot more random dogs and i can see that being really frustrating And unfortunately i don't have a clear plan i'm sure there's someone out there that has dealt with this and more experience uh, in it and can provide better insight than me but i think having A very straightforward and stern conversation with your neighbors when you spend a lot of money to buy a piece and you have something like that that is semi-controllable or just bad neighbors impacting your ground is super frustrating. And I think if you talk to them and share where you're coming from, I think most people would understand and then try to figure out some sort of course of action. Another question is the ability excuse me, the ability to negotiate land price in a high interest rate environment. So we're in a higher interest rate environment than what we were in, in 2020 and 21. And obviously before that too. So interest rates have increased drastically, but it hasn't necessarily slowed down the amount of deals going on from what I see. There's still a lack of inventory, the upgrade. So the guys that were, let's say going from a 40 to an 80 has definitely slowed down because they're locked into a better rate and they're not as motivated to go upgrade farms because the payment's gonna be drastically more. So I think this is something that continues to play out. Um, One thing that I've noticed is interest rates are obviously a factor in the purchasing decision and what you can afford and what the payments are and obviously will impact a lot of different factors. But I wouldn't have it be a total detriment to whatever plan you have in place. So if you have saved up the money, you're looking to buy something, you find a farm that you really like, Is crunch the numbers and buy it. (laughs) And you can use the interest rates potentially as a negotiating tactic and say, hey, um, there is a less pool of buyers for this farm. And I'm here right now. I hope we can get a deal done. It's one thing that I would consider. And then we don't know where interest rates are going to go. The Fed said they are not going to raise rates here for the next uh, little bit here. But then I've also read that they're going to raise it two more times by the end of the year. So we're at 8.25% right now. And Maybe that gets to 9 maybe that gets to 10%, or maybe it ends up getting a 15%. I have no clue. But I think if it does get that high, it's going to cripple a lot of buyers that are financing. And the cash buyers out there who have a really great financial moat will have the advantage there. And so most people who are listening are probably just getting started out. And I just encourage you to be really methodical. I think I wouldn't necessarily bank on rates dropping, thinking that you can refinance, but it's a possibility. And I would look for the facts that are in front of you, work with that. And anything that happens beyond that, have a plan. Uh, If they do go down, great. If they go higher, you're locked in for maybe a five-year arm or ten-year arm, or maybe you decide to get thirty-year fixed rate interest rate from a different lender. So there's a lot of different options out there for financing. And obviously, a long-term fixed rate is going to be a higher percentage rate. And I would just encourage you to read read some articles and really look at all the facts that are in front of you. And uh, we can only control so much. And those are one of those things that we cannot control. So Um, work with what's in front of you and and make the most of it. Another question, which is, this could be a whole topic in itself. And it is, can you trust a realtor that has the same intentions of yourself? And then I asked a follow-up question for them just to clarify, to make sure that I understood properly. And so they said, "Um, I've not had any personal instances, but if a realtor is in the land investing slash flipping game as well, how can one trust them to pass on a great deal? Or how can they honestly say it's a great deal and not take it for himself if he is also in the market does it make sense for him to keep the best potentials for himself or maybe there's something in place that prevents realtors from doing this this is something i put a lot of thought prop a lot of thought into personally because i i do have a clear passion of trying to find parcels that make sense to buy and i think as a real estate professional it can be certainly a little challenging to navigate and what i would say to that is Different, different agents are gonna have different goals on what they're trying to buy. And I think if me being a, an agent, I would try to buy stuff that is either on the market, so listed or at auctions, but I think the the, the waters can get a little bit muddy when you're trying to buy stuff off market. And I also think, um, and this is based off some conversations I've had with other folks that, uh, that do this that maybe aren't agents, and they've expressed you need to be really careful. So if I was just a guy, and you're talking to an agent that also buys and sells, um, and also is a real estate agent, I think you just have that honest conversation with them. And there's, there's still a lot of great deals out there um, over a course of time. So they're not able to buy every single deal out there. And I think just becoming knowledgeable, understanding the market, and then also relying on a real estate professional is really key. And a lot of, another thing when it comes to people who are buying and selling ground, a lot of times it is just more mathematical. For them, um, they're wanting to not hold on to that property forever. So, a lot of times, if you're buying something from them, you're able to get it right at market or maybe slightly below so they can go on to the next deal. So, I think they're not necessarily trying to squeeze every single dollar. Like, an example would be a seller that inherited a piece of ground. And they want to sell it. Maybe their expectations are unrealistic or very high. They're going to want to get every single penny. And maybe they're not as motivated as someone that is wanting to sell that and move on to something else. So I wouldn't be totally scared to buy something from someone like that. And then in terms of trusting them, if like if this is such a great deal, why, why haven't you bought it? It's a great question. It's a great question. And I think just finding an agent that you can trust and have, you know, have them be very candid with you is, is key. And as a real estate professional, I think it's really challenging. A lot of the guys that do buy and sell out of the ground are not agents for that specific reason. Um, but it's uh, it, it can be a little bit murky. And I think that is probably a whole topic in itself and we'll have to record a podcast. Um, maybe I'll get a couple of different agents and get their get their perspective on the topic. I know there's guys that do it. I know there's guys that don't do it. And I know that there's guys that have done it and it did not end up well for them. So I think finding an agent that plans on being there for a really long time and their reputation is far more important than getting one deal and, and, you know, flipping it or whatever you want to call it. So that's my two cents on that. Great question. Another one we have is someone wants to hear a comprehensive update on the farm. I'm going to do an episode on that as we get through uh, this summer and we see how the weather treats us. There was a fun fact that isn't so fun that I pulled up here today. So, um, I had a gentleman help me plant some trees and he mentioned that his family in 1988 planted a bunch of trees for CRP. They all died and it was because it was a very dry, dry, dry year and they did water them and that had me nervous. And then sure enough, here's the fact for Illinois where I'm at. The period from April 1st to June 10th was the second driest on record ever recorded as a whole in Illinois. The only other wetter year. So it's 1988 is the worst. 2023 is the second worst. And that's, that's bad (laughs) because I planted a bunch of trees this year. So uh, that's what we're working with when I was planting them. I was, you know, once again, out of our control. So we're going to, we're going to roll with it and do what we can. Another person suggested timber harvest information. This is a topic that I find fascinating and also intimidating. Every time I think I learn a little bit more, I realize I know a lot less. And I think that is the perfect illustration of timber and the importance of hiring a private forester to help you through a timber sale because it is so darn complex. The markets move very fast. And I've just heard all sorts of different stories. And the common theme there is hire a forester and rely on them. That's what they do for a profession. And by doing so, you're going to understand a little bit more. You're going to get a fair shake. And then you can look at multiple bids and pick out what whatever one makes the most sense. And we've had guests on here talk about that. And I think That is a common theme that has gone through these first 100 episodes, and I would rely on that. But I do think it would be awesome to get some guys on here to share some more information. Um, I've walked ground with loggers. I've walked ground with other people who know more, way more than me. And every time I walk a piece, I learn a lot more. And as a guy that's just walking off the street, I would have almost zero level of confidence that you'll understand it because it is very complex We have another question, a really good one. Balancing Honeyland land with other recreation like cabin amenities to please the wife. I think this is a good thing to consider is, and this is something that I talk with all my clients and then people, this is a theme amongst guests as well, but understanding what their goals are. And so if your goal is to have a, you know, a multi-purpose recreational farm, then I think those expectations have to align with your goals that... Let's say the potential for deer hunting on that piece is a eight eight out of ten. But you also want to recreate on it, and maybe you guys want to hike on it all the time. Then you just have to realize that maybe the potential is an eight, but with, the, the, with those other activities, maybe that drops it down to a six. And if you're good with that, then you're good with that. And if you're not, then there's a lot of public ground to walk and hike, <laughs> and maybe get a cabin to rent every now and then. But in all seriousness, though, I think that's a huge thing because once again, it's a really big purchase and it's excellent to get your whole family involved and <clears throat> if I would say if you wanted to build a cabin or put in a pond I would have that go into a place that hopefully isn't going to limit your deer hunting potential um, or impact it too negatively but it's a, it's on a scale and a spectrum and you know there's a give and take on every decision we make and that would be one of them just to be really uh, realistic with what you're doing on the farm may impact other the other aspects of it but um, I think that's really important. Another question plus or minus of less than 20% down. I see some banks offering 10 to 15%. That's a huge misconception that I think a lot of guests that we've had on that are first-time land buyers or people that I've talked to personally is there's this conditioning that you need to have 20 to 30 to 40 percent down. And I've preached this so many times that people are probably sick of hearing it, but shop around for a bank as intensely as you shop for a parcel and you're going to find a great bank that is going to walk you through the process, that's going to teach you. And once you have them as a resource, they will be invaluable throughout the process um, for that first piece. And maybe if you end up buying another one, just finding a good bank that you can talk to, walk through multiple scenarios, understand the different loan products they have. Like we were just talking about long-term fixed rates or ARM loans and understanding different down payments is all that is key and then there's there's ways where you pay your mortgage monthly or maybe annually, biannually, quarterly. And so there's so many different options out there. And I would say lenders are tightening up a little bit. I think banks are getting a little bit nervous. Um obviously in the headlines of like a Silicon Valley Bank, which is a totally different situation than than what basically all of us are can relate to, but I feel that as space and talking to different lenders, they have tightened up a little bit. They've gotten a little bit more nervous. So That's just something to understand if you're just getting started in this, that um, banks are just going to be a little bit more stringent maybe than what they were. Uh, And obviously, they have to follow guidelines and everything else. But I would just keep that in the back of your mind and call multiple, multiple banks. Um, Some of the large lenders are going to be able to give you a long-term fixed rate, but it's going to come with a higher down payment, more than likely, and also a little higher interest rate. And then some of these other smaller banks where maybe a little bit easier to get a loan through them, there may be more flexibility there. The interest rate may be a little bit higher. And so I think understanding what your goals are and what you're capable of doing from a financial position all go into making a good decision. And the more options you have, the more information you have, the better decision you can make. So I think that's really what it boils down to. And that's for everything throughout anyone's land, ju- land journey. Another question is about closing costs. This is, this is a little bit different on every type of parcel. Um, we'll just walk through a very basic example of a piece that is raw ground. There's already a recorded survey at the courthouse where they you know, nothing's getting parceled off. So maybe a survey doesn't make sense. So that's going to be a survey may cost anywhere between 2000 and $4,000, depending on where you're at in the country and how big the piece is and how hard it is to survey. So that is a, a typically a larger expense. Obviously you can negotiate that to where the seller's paying for it, or it's split 50, 50, or maybe the seller going to pay for it all and then you need to use that as a, a token to negotiating and then so that would be a buyer's expense um there's going to be general title work and I'm, I'm referencing illinois here i know every state's a little bit different there's gonna be some general title work you're going to need to get title insurance which is a little bit of money and i think what i typically do is just add a percent let's say the farm is five hundred thousand dollars i would add a percent Of what potential closing costs will be. A lot of times it'll be less than that, but just have that as a frame of reference. And that might vary in different parts of the country where maybe that needs to be 2%. But long and short of it is you're going to have title work, you're going to have title insurance, you're going to have to... Here in Illinois, you don't have to have an attorney to close on a property. But if you did have one, that would be another expense. That's probably going to be anywhere between $500 and $1,000 to hire an attorney to look over everything and there's going to be prorations for taxes. So that would actually deduct the amount of cash that you would need. So um, basically, let's say the taxes are $1,200 a year and you are buying it in November. So that's 11 twelfths of the year. You're going to get a credit back. And then when that tax bill comes out the following year, um, you're going to be responsible for all, for all of it because they already credited you for that. So um, hopefully that gives just a little bit of a frame of reference. And what, you ha- what happens when you buy a piece, you're going to get... What is called a closing disclosure that closing disclosure is going to have all the expenses for the buying side the selling side and they're all going to be itemized and there you get to see all the different things that are credits and debits on the deal and then you'll have at the very bottom a cash to close or the amount of money you need to bring and then the the bank is going to send the wire the rest of the money another excellent question what is one thing you've seen all experienced guests have in common and same for the first-hand land buyers so there's a lot of different things but i will share The common thread all the experienced people just got started they bought their first piece they saved up the money and they bought their first piece and they started the process and i think the common theme of all those folks is they've all made mistakes along the way not detrimental to where it completely crippled them but they all made mistakes that they wouldn't make again but they got started and they built that equity over time and started that process there's guys that have moved through stair-stepping up farms a lot faster than others um and i think this also re- results back to some of the first-time land buyers that are maybe on farm number two or three or maybe they buy it they hold it for three to five years they improve it they hunt it and they realize they want something a little closer to home or maybe there's some attributes to that farm that they don't like and they want to buy a new parcel and not have those things on the new piece so getting started accepting you're going to make some mistakes along the way but you need to understand that you're willing to learn and not make those mistakes again twice. And thankfully, this podcast I know has saved me from making mistakes. So I think relying on other other people's stories and other people's mistakes and trying to flatten that learning curve is something that all successful people that have been on here have, have done. And the other thing, as I'm just thinking here, I think those are the biggest things. Um, I was trying to think of a bonus piece, but I think if I had to boil it down, it's that they all bought it. They were all happy with it they were thankful they did it most people seemed a little bit nervous when they when they made that plunge but over time it all worked out and like i said it's just really important so here's a fun question that i wish we had a stat on how many acres the first time line buyers have acquired would be a sweet stat so as people have sent in emails on hey i bought my first piece in pennsylvania and it was x acres i would be it would be cool to understand the impact of the podcast of this podcast is a direct result of people buying I don't know, a thousand acres or something like that would be a really cool stat. But the impact of this has been far beyond what I ever could have imagined. And it's really cool to see. It's very cool to see. And I love the emails that come in, uh, people sharing their stories and hearing what part of the country they're in, what they decided to buy and everything else. But we've had people from all across the country that have sent in on what they bought and the potential pricing. And then also it's helped people get really prepared to pull the trigger when they do find a farm. Next question, most expensive aspect of improving a farm for hunting value? This is an excellent conversation. And if I had to guess, or if I had to say, it's going to be capital expenditures of improving the farm with, with equipment and dirt work. Now, although it is the most expensive, I also think it has the highest impact of increasing the value. So there's a direct correlation there. Of fixing things that are on the farm. And as Pat would say, eliminating the imagination. So, for example, let's say the farm's a little bit dumpy right now and I need to get cleaned up and you need to tear down an old shed that's falling apart and it's just a liability. By cleaning that up and maybe making it into a potential building site, that is huge. Um, creating a trail system is huge. You're going to have a higher level of enjoyment and also maybe fixing any erosion issues that are going to continue to deteriorate the farm. Fix those items, get them fixed right. And I think that is well worth the money. It is probably the most expensive, but it is also the most visually impactful. Therefore, also making it some of the biggest uh, bang for your buck when you're buying and selling. Something else that I have seen a common thread with is a lot of these guys that are buying parcels are looking at it as a form of investment, which I think is very fair over the long course of history of land and how it's appreciated. And I think this is just me speaking. The fact that like with, with real estate or with let's say ETFs or stocks or anything else, you don't really have any direct impact or direct co- correlate. Something that I've noticed with a lot of different guests too is a lot of these folks look at the look at land or recreational land as a true investment, which I think is absolutely fair given the track record of it, given the control you can have on it as well. So you can make those direct improvements that are going to impact the value. You're going to have the appreciation of it depending on how the properties comprise you, potentially going to get cash flow from from cash rent, um, cash rent crops or CRP. There, It's truly an investment in my mind that has the bonus of the ability for you to enjoy it. And I think I've talked to a lot of different people who are very heavily invested in land. And I think those are the themes that are the reason they like it. I think the inefficiency, potential inefficiency of real estate is obviously a very exciting thing where it's hard to find other undervalued assets that are available to the general public. So just comparing to the stock market and things of that nature, it's a very efficient market. There's so many people that are extremely bright, data analysts, so much information that's available to absolutely everybody. And then there's also the information that's behind closed doors, which obviously isn't available to unaccredited investors like the majority of the population, where I think land is a much more level playing field. And any market that is inefficient, there's going to be more opportunities. Is real estate more of an efficient market than what it was 10 years ago? Yes. Is it going to be more efficient in 10 years? Absolutely. And so the reason I say that is it's going to continually get harder to get into land and start snowballing this process. And I think uh, Bill Winky's story is a a clear example of how he wished he was way more aggressive back then and how much easier it was then compared to what it is now and I think as we're listening to this today today it's going to get substantially harder in the next 10, 15, 20 years. So I think what we have right now is there's still some inefficiencies. The process then is going to get more democratized, more democrat the process is going to get more transparent for everybody, which is good and also bad in some ways because of the fact there'll be more efficient markets and therefore less, you know, quote-unquote deals. I think even if that is the case, there's always going to be opportunities that most people are going to overlook. And I think I just had a conversation with someone last week. We both walked the same farm and his notes compared to mine were drastically different. So we looked at some of the same things and then their outlook and perspective on it was much different than than mine. And I think that will always be here for real estate, which is a really good thing. And just to summarize all of it, it's going to get harder. It's going to get more efficient. And what we have right now is a uh, better opportunity than what I think will be in the long scope of things. Obviously, there'll be different cycles and everything else to where people are able to buy when other people aren't, depending on interest rates, for example. And the the common theme, though, is it's going to get more challenging for people to buy their first farm. And what we have right now is uh, is an opportunity. And I think working towards that and getting locked into land is key. And you're going to make mistakes, you're going to learn, and then you're going to become more efficient and understand things better. And as this, things become more available for everyone, then it's going to be harder. So like, just think about pulling comps for real estate, for land real estate in the 90s. Now there's so many tools like Acres, you can go on there and pull comps in real time. So what was recorded at the courthouse, what were the auction results of a parcel and almost um, a very small delay to where previously that was not available. So that means consumers are more um, informed, agents are more informed of what things are worth, and there's just less room for error which is obviously good, but also a challenge as a buyer. So that's one piece that I would really consider. And it may feel challenging now, but if I was a betting man, it's gonna become more challenging over a long scope in the future. And that's the, that's the general synopsis of the first 100 episodes. I encourage folks to go back and I've gone back and re-listened to some episodes. Um, I will highlight some, some excellent ones that I think have a lot of great information. You have Nick Sharma, who is a financial advisor, shares his process um and his perspective on land we have don higgins who talks about the future of land management we have bill winky story we have skip Sly stories we have steve hansen stories we have so many great guests Greg glissinger which i mentioned at the beginning of the episode was an excellent episode and we have a lot of other agents on here that have shared their experience and i'm telling you there's so much good information in these first 100 episodes And I think everyone that has taken the time to ever listen to a single episode, it means the world to me and the people that have reached out and shared their stories. Um, The the platform would not be successful if it wasn't for people willing to share their stories. So, I'm extremely grateful for that. And if you have a story that you want to come on and share your first time land buyer's story, or maybe you bought a couple farms and you learned some things along the way, I would love to have you come on here and share your story. Because I think that is the only way we all get better we all learn more and ultimately we all, have, we all have the same goals here and we all want to get better. So I just want to say thank you so much for everyone that has made this, this project a success. And I'll just share a couple things that are about the ethos of this podcast. It's simply if you're someone interested in the pursuit of land ownership, land investing, staying up to date with current trends in the Midwest and hearing from industry experts and professionals, then this is the place for you. Thank you for the first 100 episodes of support. I look forward to the next 100. And you can head over to whitetail.land, send in your information to be a guest on the podcast. I would love to have you on here. And hope you guys have a great week. Until next time, see you guys.